Hello and welcome to the C21 podcast. My name is Jonathan Webdale. We hope you're safe and well wherever you may be. Coming up in this episode, Emma Westcott, commissioning editor of Factual at Channel 5, talks about how the Viacom CBS-owned UK broadcaster has responded to the pandemic and new three-way commission a thousand years of history ordered during the lockdown. Caroline Tyre, General Manager of Cartoon Channel, discusses how the situation brought forward today's launch of the new Genius Brands International Children's Network, which has recently added industry heavyweights Margaret Loesch and David Newman to its ranks. But first, Asha Teller is MD of UK indie Rough Cut Television and producer of hit series including The Office, The IT Crowd, People Just Do Nothing and BAFTA-nominated Stathlet's Flats. He spoke with Nico Franks about how COVID-19 has affected comedy development, including his new Sky series, Bloods, and why Netflix and the BBC were right to remove shows such as Little Britain from their services in the wake of anti-racism protests in the US and beyond. Has the pandemic impacted what you're developing and how you're developing it in terms of the content of your usual comedy slate? Um, I've been really cautious about developing... um, pandemic shows um i'll go further than that i just i don't want to uh, there was a rush of uh, there was the rush of let's do a lockdown sketch show let's do a um etc and, and my view on that was there were people doing it so well from home there was sort of an avalanche of material on 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 social media that people didn't need production companies or broadcasters to do and i, and I thought that was an ecosystem very much left best left to itself um, and some of it was really fantastic and much of it wasn't but um, I, I, I didn't really want to to get involved in it I think the, the man hours and the rewards don't quite add up for somebody who does this for a living at least um, I think then the question is we are you know to what extent do you reflect so I didn't so we never do, haven't developed any specific um, COVID sitcoms, and I can't think of anything worse, and we weren't. Um, I suspect there'll be one somewhere. It may well look very dated by the time it comes on, or it may be a global hit, but it's certainly nothing that I wanted to invest my time in. The question, the, 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 the better question is, to how much do we reflect COVID in the, in the shows that we are already developing? And that's a little more nuanced, because it's very possible that you'll look quite tone deaf if you don't. And it's very possible that you'll look hugely dated if you overplay it. But to give you an example, I mean, it's already been announced. We're making a, uh, making a big new show for Sky called Bloods that's set in the world of paramedics. And it seems to me that that would be, um, it would be remiss of us to not, uh, at least, you know, they are, they are NHS staff, they are frontline workers, all of these phrases that have become much more common to us. And I think we must reflect that something happened or, or the ways in which they were. But I think it's also something that we'll do right at the end. You know, we're planning for it now. But I think um, when you come to film, you know, the other thing about this story is how fast it's moving. So you've got quite a fast-moving story, and then you've got the world of scripted drama and comedy, which is very slow-moving. So it's, it's about... It's not like we are fast turnaround documentaries that can quickly reflect a moment that might then go, we are slow tankers and there's a danger in overcommitting to something that then goes away, by which I mean the mood changes suddenly and, you know, 
you can imagine us talking about, you know, not being able to go out and all of this sort of stuff. And then, of course, everyone's out drinking and kissing in the park and we look ridiculous. So it's about trying to keep our machine as light on its feet to reflect it. My, in, my instinct is to go lightly. And I remember at Edinburgh last year, there was a lot of talk. And I think you were on a panel about the kind of comedy and really comedy dramas that were in vogue pre, so pre-pandemic stuff that was very kind of authentic and confessional. Uh, do you think that's going to continue after this or will there be a shift? And are you noticing a shift in your talks with broadcasters about what they're looking for tonally? Well, you know, wisdom would say that everyone is ready for some silliness after this. There's a lot of heaviness around and, and of course, in people's personal lives. Um, and so it, you, you, you would argue that the last the last thing that people want to turn on for now are more expressions of pain, personal pain, because there's enough. And if you wish to seek it, you may have some of your own. Really, you can only tell your personal story once, really. I mean, of course, you can attack it from different sides. But, but I, I, I also I think people will have used up um, some stuff. You know, comics, writers, you know, whatever it is that the issue that they wanted to, to, to touch on, struggles with mental health, thoughts about thoughts around their sexuality, family, childhood, race, religion. I, you know, I've got my personal story and you've got your personal story, but you and I could spend two hours over a pint and we would know each other's personal stories. I don't know what our follow-up series to that would be. So it might be that we're then going to return to some sort of lightness, I think. And certainly at the moment, people are going, we... Uh, need a um, sort of the laughter to be more stupid. Those kind of more silly shows obviously still exist. Like uh, you've got one of yours. So Stay Let's Flats, which is a great show. And uh, so you got nominated from BAFTAs recently. Is that right? Yeah, we got, we were lucky enough uh, to have three nominations. Uh, we're nominated for uh, Best uh, Comedy. And Jamie is nominated for Best uh, Male, I guess, Comic Performance and uh, the show's also nominated for Best Writer. So we're very proud of that and very grateful. And um, it's a shame that there won't be a, a drink. It's going to, I think, Richard Iowadi from the IT crowd, Moss from the IT crowd, is presenting on BBC One. So I think, I guess it's going to feel a bit more like a clip show than an award ceremony. But um, I think Backer are in touch with us to figure out how we nominees can participate. But yeah, very proud of staff. And we're also seeing in the news now certain sitcoms and comedy shows uh, being taken off streaming services in light of the anti-racism protests uh, going on in the US and the UK and other countries. So shows like Little Britain, now more recently, I think The Mighty Boosh and League of Gentlemen have come off Netflix. So this removal of certain shows, what do you think that will mean for sitcoms going forward? And do you think it's the right thing to do? I think it is the right thing to do. I think history is alive and current and you cannot, in a sense, you can't change things positively by not changing things, you know? And I think, if you know what I mean, and, you know, it, it, so I, I, what I think is really curious and I think absolutely I want to say is that those shows are in our recent history. You know, they are not hundreds of years ago. You know, they are 
you know, Little Britain was not long ago. And I can tell you from, you know, I was in and around it and, you know, Little Britain and the office were going on at the same time. And I know the boys and I was at the BBC at the time. And I can tell you there were very, very few complaints about that show. You know, it is not, you know, you're not talking about shows where, you know, people love to phone the BBC about anything to complain. But it's just that those shows didn't happen. And I think that's worth saying, right? So, but I also think that doesn't mean that something has changed and a light has flicked and and we shouldn't change them now. Because I think history is full of moments where there are light bulb moments or there are moments of realisation. They're quite strange when they happen. Um, of course, me too, recently. And you kind of go, oh, I actually... As odd as it sounds, I see things differently to how I did last week because almost like a, like a curtain has gone up and I've actually started to think about something differently. So it's okay to do that. Um, you should do that. And actually, if you, it, it's, if you didn't complain about Little Britain a month uh, ago, you are allowed to today. I think you are allowed to today. And the BBC are right to react to that. And so, therefore, as... As bizarre as it seems, I think it's the right thing to do. You make shows in the time and in the context of their moment. Um, again, I come back to, at least with Little Britain as an example, Blackface wasn't really okay when, when Little Britain was made, sort of nine years ago, it wasn't. And that is the peculiarity of that example. What people in my business say, or have said, is that you can cross various lines if it's funny. And if people are laughing, they're not complaining. And where you run into issues are if something is both offensive and not funny. And I think that's a, and I think there's something to be said for that. And I think as the curtain has gone up on us all in the last month, you go, how weird that nobody complained about Little Britain only six, seven years ago because blackface was not all right then. You know, you go back to curry and chips or you go back to, you know, it ain't half hot mum and that, those kind of shows. And then you kind of go, okay, racism wasn't all right then and slavery wasn't all right when that statue was up. But you kind of go, at least I get the historical context of that. But I don't get the historical context of Little Britain and yet. So that's something that people should think about. <laughs> I don't really have an answer. It's just worth saying. So on Twitter, I saw um, a producer at BBC Studios. She was saying, in amongst all the anti-racism protests, and I think prior to shows like Little Britain coming off Netflix, but she said in terms of when she's being pitched comedy projects and if there are no people of colour uh, featured in the pitch or the, the pilot, she's going to ask them why. And she thinks that you know, white comics and performers should, it should be on them to ask, so how many people of colour are, are also, you know, are going to be on this show, things like that. Can you see that? Yeah, do you support that and see it as something positive going forward? Yeah, I see that and I support it. And I think there's a collective responsibility on us now. You know, I think um, uh, people of colour would rightly argue that it's been done in a very tick box way. And so, you know, one is enough. Like, where is that? Where's the actor of colour in the show? And also, you can look at shows that we're all guilty of, and and you know, it's 
amazing how often the doctor is black or Asian and my, you know, it's a secondary character, I think. But I think we are right to calmly put pressure on each other. You know, there are so many people involved in, you know, it's such a big ecosystem making a TV show. I think it's right that we hold each other to account. You know, it's the discussion that's been going on in the last few years around women directors, women writers, female voices. And that's a mad one. You kind of go, did we only just discover women? <laughs> you know, did we only, were they only invented five years ago? Um, and lots of women were saying, in terms of having our voice heard, kind of, or in terms of the way that we've been spoken of or spoken to, kind of. And it feels like this is perhaps that moment for people of colour. And conversations have already been going on between companies like mine and broadcasters about representation. But I think it now needs to be a conversation that happens at every part of the chain, every part of the supply chain, you know, all the way through to the screen. And if that means some difficult conversations, if that means broadcasters laying down some harder and fast rules, if that means a period of pain to get to someone better, then I think that's okay. Ashitala from Rough Cut Television. Viacom's CBS-owned broadcaster Channel 5 has, throughout the pandemic, remained true to director of programmes Ben Frow's mantra to reassure, inform and inspire audiences. That's according to commissioning editor of Factual Emma Westcott, who told Inigo Alexander about the continued popularity of royal documentaries during the crisis and new commission, A Thousand Years of History, ordered during the lockdown and pooling the resources of three independent producers. You know, obviously it was very difficult for everybody um, at the beginning because we didn't know what we were dealing with. Um, I think for Channel 5, we're such a tiny team. It was it was relatively easy for us to take stock, go through our slates, go through everything and work out what we had in production and what stage it was. So I think, you know, that's the benefit of being um, uh, so small in, you know, in comparison to a lot of our competitors. So, you know, it, it, you know we were painfully aware of how difficult it was for the indie sector so we wanted to be able to make decisions really quickly which I think we did I mean Ben very quickly said I don't think we should change anything that we're doing you know health and you know health and uh, technical things aside that actually I think that you know the thing our audience wants more than anything is reassurance so I think because we had that very clear steer that we weren't suddenly chasing covid themed content it, it, you know it, it, it was relatively straightforward you know when you've got your boss saying one thing so we all know which direction we're going and then it's about it was about how we could achieve what we wanted to achieve. I mean, obviously it's affected our pipeline of content. There's no doubt about that. But but also we were very fortunate that we had a lot of content in the edit. And, you know, it was really, it was really inspiring to see how quickly everybody adapted. I mean, I love it. I love the fact that the human race adapts so brilliantly. And, you know, Indies were immediately setting up their offlines, their onlines, their voiceovers. Nobody said, we can't do it. Everybody just said, oh, how do we do it? Okay, that's going to be a bit different. But um, so I think that that was the the sort of overriding sort of, that was the start. I mean, this seems like a lifetime away now. Sort of from there on in, it is about how we can keep delivering 
what the Channel 5 viewer wants. And I think we've been pretty successful in the last, well, certainly in the last 12 weeks. I mean, our ratings have been fantastic. So, you know, it has paid off, certainly in the short term. But, you know, there's no doubt that it's difficult, you know, and it has been difficult for everybody. And in terms of the the shows that you uh, commissioned before the pandemic that you'd hoped to start getting in production uh, early this year, um, has, the, has the pandemic shelved those projects? Have you had to put them on hold as a, as a result of the pandemic or are you still committed to the, the commissions that you made before it all hit? I mean, I think we, you know, I, I think there have been some difficult decisions, but for us, very few, which is really good. Um, so I think it's a case of, if we can't, you know, a new series of 10 years younger, okay, we can't get into a hairdresser, the hairdresser can't get involved yet, but actually we can cast it and, you know, we can get the, get people working, write all the packages, uh, work out exactly what we're doing, you know, like twice the life of met, we've recommissioned that and it's, uh, again, finding the people, you know, we've just found ourselves on a sort of escapist um, zeitgeist, I think, um, you know, but, you know, things like sort of, you know, Casualty 24-7, Guiders, you know, these these programmes have, you know, they'll be coming back. Daniel Pearl keeps doing scenic railways. The, you know, these are getting great figures for the channel. I mean, I think it's about reassuring the audience and, you know, and giving them informed content, which is a bit inspiring. Reassure, inform and inspire. And we kind of work across all genres for that. And you mentioned that you weren't initially looking to start commissioning, you know, COVID content that is just specifically tied to the pandemic. Um, so what, what type of content have you been looking for in the last couple of weeks? I mean, if someone were to come with a couple of projects, what would what would need to tick the boxes at the moment? I mean, I think we've always got a, you know, a very clear brief. I think our brief is the same. I think we've got, you know, sort of you know, whether we're commissioning at, I mean, you know, one of the, the things that we ended up commissioning a lot more of during the pa- pandemic was um, Royal Docks, um, because actually they were geared up. We we know our audience loves uh, Royal Docks. So, you know, I've done things like um, Diana in her own words and, um, you know, Daniel Pearl has done, I mean, every Wednesday he's viewing a new Royal Dock, you know, and they're still getting sort of, you know, they're getting like, one and a half, two and a half million viewers every Saturday. I mean, if I just look at things that I've commissioned, oh, so Kate, you know, I've done um, Kate Humble, her, you know, My Little Farm, off the back of the success of Country Life for half the price. You know, we like her on the channel. She's good talent. She lives on a farm. Her husband's a cameraman. And, you know, once the, you know, that all the protocols had been sort of agreed within the industry, that's been in production. Um, I've also commissioned A Thousand Years of History, which we have announced today. We actually commissioned probably about the second week of lockdown because we realised quite quickly that, you know, much as our audience loves all our great history content, Bethany Hughes can't go down the Nile. So, you know, we looked at what could we do that would feel sort of epic and rewarding, but not require filming out and about. So we came up with the idea of doing this sort of landmark piece of each country. So we're doing Scotland, Ireland, America, Australia, China and Russia. And, you know, they're things that you know, we like to sort of challenge the audience a bit. So the subject matter, so basically we put three companies together on a trans, a totally open and transparent deal and 
editorially they are free and develop the program how they want but they're sharing archive they're sharing experts they're sharing you know companies because you know we're very aware of that we pay less than you know a lot of our competitors so we have to make it work I want the best program ever, but also I have to be adaptable to the business needs of the companies. And, you know, fingers crossed. I mean, I'm, you know, it seems to have been working really well. You know, that's been quite, I mean, I haven't seen the frame of it yet. So, uh, but I'm expecting sort of six programs to be really, really good. And in terms of the financial impact of uh, the pandemic, because it's obviously hit everyone across the industry quite hard. Um, and you mentioned there that you normally try and aim for options that are slightly more uh, commercially viable than than uh, your competitors so how, how has that changed things I mean have you had to curtail the amount of content that you're looking to commission how have you managed no I mean I think we are you know look who knows where we are going to be big picture finance wise but I think the channel the thing that channel 5 has always had and uh, you know ironically we are looking like a sort of 21st century commissioning team you know there's eight of us you know we are all we're multi-genre so we're not you know stymied by departmental structures so I think commercially I think you know everyone's got to adapt to survive but I think we were by you know virtue of the fact that we're such a small team that I think we're we're probably quite well placed certainly tough out there but we're feeling I think we're feeling quite buoyed about viewers love the channel they love watching, you know, what we give them. I think if we always keep focused on the viewer and inspire them, and then, you know, we're dependent on producers to sort of bring us their best ideas. And we can only get the best ideas if we're good to work with. And one of the aspects of the industry that's perhaps been hit the hardest by the pandemic is the scripted world, obviously dramas and the big scripted productions. I mean, for us, I mean, drama, you know, obviously we cherish and love the small bits of drama, you know, the few series that we have, and they certainly paused. Uh, likewise, Neighbours, we went down to two episodes a week for not for very long, I think. But so I think for Channel 5, it's business as usual. And when our dramas start, you know, a lot of them are starting up again now, uh, we will, you know, we will take them, cherish them, love them and put them on the channel. But um, I, we haven't got the, the big voids that maybe BBC One or ITV have got with scripted. Emma Westcott from Channel 5. US-based media company Genia Brands International is today launching a new children's network called Cartoon Channel, formed by the merger of several existing ventures. Cartoon Channel general manager Caroline Tyre told Carolina Kaminska why the company decided to make the move, how the coronavirus pandemic brought forward the launch, and the significance of new hires Margaret Loesch and David Newman. Yeah, so when I came on board uh, just a year ago, um, we had Baby Genius for preschoolers, Kid Genius for 6 to 11, and then we had Kid Genius Plus, which was an amalgamation for some platforms like Amazon, for example, that just wanted one channel. And it just got very difficult to kind of message that and make that something like a destination, you know, to get behind that we could really drive viewership to. And we thought that it was, you know, more of a consumer brand. So, I mean, Baby Genius is still a fantastic um, program that we have, and it does, and it did very well. And we, you know, obviously love the genius name, but we just felt like it would be better served to have kind of one destination and something I think in the landscape that really can market itself, right? Uh, you know, there's a there's a lot going on out there. There's a lot of channels, and so we really felt like this is something that you know when you go to 
Roku, for example, and you see, you know, as a parent, you see Cartoon Channel right away. You know what that is. You know, it's for your kid. Even if you're, you haven't heard of it, you want to download it. So we felt like it's, you know, really self-explanatory. And uh, and this way, it's one that we can get behind. And we really want to make sure that, you know, we can talk about more of this uh, coming up. But, um, you know, because it's for 2 to 11-year-olds, we really feel like it is something should be the whole family can get around. And uh, if, you know, your three-year-old's in the room, there's nothing on it that you're going to be worried that they would see that, you know, maybe the 11-year-old's watching. It's something that really should be family-friendly. So we felt safe kind of merging both of those. And is the timing of the launch influenced by the coronavirus pandemic? Definitely, it sped things up. There's no question. We were definitely already doing this, but obviously because kids were home and we really wanted to offer something that we felt that was, again, a cohesive brand, but also we, you know, there's so many great shows that we have like Warren Buffett's Secret Millionaires Club, which teaches about financial literacy. And there's obviously, you know, so much going on with the economy right now. It was kind of a great way to get these shows out and get some, you know, drive viewership to that so that there's some kind of enriching content that kids could watch while they're at home. And as I said, you know, I've got two young kids at home and it is very difficult with both my husband and I working. Ours are still young, so it's hard to get them in front of a computer doing courses, but you can kind of get them in front of some shows that might give them some enriching content. We also have Thomas Edison's Secret Lab, and so that's got, you know, STEM in it. So there's just different things like that that we think are really um, a good opportunity right now. Um, But yes, the um, kind of everyone being at home and COVID has really uh, sped up the process for sure. But, you know, it's exciting. (laughs) And so what are your expectations following the launch with regards to viewership and audience reaction, especially given given the timing in the middle of this pandemic, like you said, with with um, more kids being at home? Yeah, I mean, really, I think we're just looking at this as just the beginning. You know, this is a full rebrand, basically a a new launch. And uh, so, you know, expectations in terms of obviously, yes, kids are home, but you know, we have so many things happening right now that we are going to be doing in multiple phases. So we've, you know, really focusing, as you've seen, we probably had about a thousand episodes of content. So we should have about 4,000 episodes of content by the end of June. So that's a huge jump in just, just, you know, ability to offer a really robust offering. So that will be being phased through. And uh, we're launching a number of new platforms, which we've mentioned, like Redbox and IMDb TV and Plex and Canela Media, Select TV. So being in multiple places where where people can find it, um, I think, again, just offers a bigger offering. So we expect, you know, in terms of viewership and impressions and all of that, we do expect, you know, really good growth with that. But again, there's, it's just the beginning. We have so many more plans. And Genius Brands said when Cartoon Channel was announced that the rebranded network would significantly expand its distribution. Can you talk a bit more about that in your distribution efforts? Yeah, so I mean, I can't talk about everything kind of coming up, but that, you know, as I just mentioned, the the new platforms that we talked about, those will be ones that you'll see uh, us launching on in terms of an AVOD model. But uh, there will be additional offerings similar to that um, that we'll be doing and then also we have um, our own app that's on Roku, Amazon uh, Fire and um, Apple TV. Uh, We will be launching on Android as well for the launch and so again that gives us you know access to you know mobile users and that is something that we will will really be expanding on and uh, you know that's a really great area of growth for us in terms of our app. I think that we can do a lot there. Yeah, so I feel like it, we, you will see a number of different opportunities. And some of the things that we're kind of talking about now is just ways to 
kind of grow the channel, but also like, you know, so that people really get a sense and feel of the channel, you know, because it is still a VOD offering, but we want to be able to do kind of stunts or things like that, that we can kind of get behind and we can, you know, serve a specific need for our audiences. So we're just having some really great fun kind of coming up with what that means. But you, yeah, as for in terms of growth on the part of the uh, platforms, it will definitely be new platforms added regularly. And can you talk about Cartoon Channel's hallmark to be smart and safe? So, you know, as we talked about, <laughs> about you know, COVID and all of this, I mean, it's always been genius brands. Our motto has always been content with a purpose. And so we really wanted to have, you know, something that we can offer to families that feel like it's enriching. But we also want it to be fun for kids, right? You don't want it just to be the medicine. You want it to be something that they really want to come to. So it's, you know, kind of uh, managing that line. And uh, so one of the exciting things that we've done is we've partnered with um, a gentleman named Don Roberts, who is kind of the authority on children's media and helping to ensure that a program is infused with, you know, worthy enriching content and while not undermining the essential core of the entertainment. So he, you know, has written a book on it. He's uh, consulted for the FCC, with Walt Disney, numerous other companies on this same thing. So we've basically created kind of a code of ethics, or we're in the midst of creating this with him, that will just speak to, you know, the kind of programming that we want, and um, that we, you know, make sure there's obviously, even especially right now, you know, so much with stereotypes, or any type of racism, or, you know, we, we look at older content, for example, that might not be fitting to the time now. So we want to make sure that we have a very clear um, message in terms of what that is, and we can feel like it's a bit of a stamp of approval for parents, so that, again, they feel safe that their kids are watching programs that have been curated. So, you know, even some of this older stuff that we're looking at, more of the retro programming, you know, we have someone who's watching all these episodes to see, you know, is there anything in this that we feel wouldn't be appropriate nowadays, as an example. And Margaret Lesh and David Newman have been appointed executive chairman and chief creative officer of Cartoon Channel, respectively. Why do you think they are a good fit, and how are they set in so far. It's wonderful. You know, listen, they're two, you know, best in class executives in the industry. And we are so lucky and delighted to have them. Uh, as well as me personally, you know, I think it's great to be working with people who've had such amazing experience and pedigree. Margaret is definitely the kind of reigning queen of uh, kids TV. And um, she, you know, one of her biggest accomplishments, I think, was, you know, she was the president and CEO of Fox Kids Worldwide, and she kind of grew all metrics on that channel and ended up selling it for $5.5 billion to Disney. I mean, that's the kind of thing where she, for us, you know, is going to bring that experience and help us kind of be an advisory on growth for the channel and how we can see that, you know, kind of revenue growth, you know, profitability, what areas that we need to really expand on and just bring all of her experience from that. And then David, who was the president at Walt Disney Television, he also, you know, was a wonderful World of Disney as part of that. But he also launched um, the current TV with Al Gore, which, you know, was a very, you know, new digital network that, you know, a lot of people probably weren't doing it at the time. So he really understands you know, we're a small group and we're doing, trying to grow something very big, very fast. So he's got experience with that. And also just the kind of injecting some of the creative vision into it. You know, what we talked about, like I was saying, um, like things like stunts or whatever we want to do, just like the overall flavor of the channel. He's got some really great ideas in terms of how we can make it, you know, a destination for families and kids. 
Looking ahead to the next year, what are your overall ambitions for the channel? Yeah, I mean, uh, really, yeah, expanding, I would say, you know, growing viewership, expanding awareness of it. You know, this is a new brand, so we need to really get, you know, the awareness out, seeing significant revenue growth um, towards the end of the year, I would anticipate. And, you know, you'll see a lot of great new shows coming from us that will really make it a destination for kids. And you might see some exclusive content coming from us um, and, you know, even maybe some originals, like there's just different things that we're, we're looking at and just, you know, how we can have a great user experience for our viewers. Um, that will be a big focus as well. You mentioned originals there. So, so how important would that be to your strategy? Yeah, I think we're just, you know, obviously it's early days and we're just kind of testing the waters, but I think that's something that, you know, either exclusive original or something that we think would be, um, you know, again, make us a destination, I think is definitely something to consider. And, you know, we just have to you know figure out what that revenue growth is and um, how we can kind of feed that. So, you know, that would definitely be in the further out plan but um yeah we hope to have something that special that we can add to it for sure caroline tyre from cartoon channel that's all for this episode remember if you'd like to share your story of coping with covid19 with the international tv industry email us using the address press at c21media.net there'll be more from the podcast tomorrow but in the meantime stay safe and stay up to date with all the latest developments by following c21 online on mobile and social media thanks for listening (laughs) 